0: This is episode 111 with Natalie Alport. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division one swimmer, forever athlete, and your personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Natalie, a former national team snowboarder up in Canada, forever athlete and lifelong entrepreneur. She runs a marketing agency, 93 agency, and has over a decade of experience in social media marketing and personal branding in the athlete, sports, and active brand space. She is a growth mindset and human performance nerd, and she's she shares a lot of that knowledge here today. She also shares her journey online and through her own podcast, inspiring others to go all in, which is the name of the podcast. Absolutely genius. We cover a lot today. You're going to want to grab something, take some notes. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I, I can't complain. Can't complain. I'm excited too. Really pick your brain in all things action sports because we were just talking and I am very much not of the background of let's lean into fear. Let's go and do these reckless things. I was I love the uh, the comfortability and the bubble that uh, the swimming pool provided me. So how did you get started in sports in general? What was your first one? It wasn't snowboarding originally, right?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think I was three years old when I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics someday. I think at that time I was tricycling around my house. So like I was just always into sports. I mean, um, my mom isn't super athletic. Like she she has a really good genetics somehow for like training uh, and different things. But she comes from Venezuela. So I think she said she played like maybe volleyball or something in school. But my dad comes from like a small town, Ontario. So he's like hockey, uh, football, like the main sports. And I'm the first, I was the first born. Uh, I have like one younger brother. So I kind of just got thrown into like playing sports with my dad. Um, And so I'm trying to remember like the exact first sport that I did growing up. I mean, uh, we moved around a little bit like hockey was the first one that was really serious mm-hmm. i'm sure i like probably i uh, you know skiing actually was pretty early i got on skis when i was two and a half um because we lived in on the west coast at that time um so probably skiing or when it comes to organized sports actually probably soccer um and then hockey was like the one that i took the most seriously before getting into uh snowboarding
0: i love that i love I I always love hearing all those sports that people dabbled in. I think that's a disservice that we are seeing now in, in youth sports as people are like, you're five years old, you have to specialize in swimming to make it to the Olympics or whatever that sport may be. So when did you know that it was like, hey, I gotta put these other ones on pause and like pursue snowboarding? Like this is gonna be the one that I really stick with.
1: Yeah, so I I mean I picked up snowboarding pretty late. Like nowadays you see like 14-year-old phenoms. <laughs> like I didn't start until I think I was 12. Um but at that time I was playing high level hockey, so it was really hard to get out to the, the hills and especially like where I live now is pretty close to to where I was at at that age too and we have no big <laughs> mountains near me. Um so it was just really hard to get out like any quality time on my snowboard. I think the first season I went out twice maybe um just because like high level hockey is like five six seven days a week um so you really just don't have time especially my brother playing hockey too in different sports um my parents just really couldn't take us take us out as much as i wanted but then i remember like so oddly after like twice like daydreaming in class like i just want to snowboard and so uh, i think i did one more season where i went a few times and then i just i convinced my parents i said hey like i actually want to want to try like having more time to go snowboarding so Ended up playing a lower level hockey for one season, uh, so that we had more time to snowboard because it was a little bit like less demanding. But it, it just not playing at that high level in hockey wasn't satisfying because you're not playing at the the level where you're being challenged. So I didn't like that. And then I still wasn't having enough time snowboarding. So it was like, okay, either I go back to playing the highest level of hockey, or I go to snowboarding. And at the time, I had had it a bad experience with a coach in hockey. I was really small. I went through a very late like growth spurt. So I was like the the smallest kid and I was always getting pulled I was too small for hockey and then snowboarding was just like this new freedom for me where there was like no rules. You can like, you know, I could go off my whole family skied so I could just do my own thing by myself. And so I just kind of went all in and I said, uh, I was starting high school. So I was able to play like high school hockey and stuff that didn't mesh with the winter season. Um, and that's when I just transitioned to like, I'll just play school sports. And then outside of school, my life will be snowboarding.
0: I love that. And I think a lot of people overlook the logistical aspect of these big mountain sports, like a snowboarding or skiing. It's, I mean, out here in LA, like if I wanted to become a, snowboarder like that's not really an option for me how did you how did your parents navigate those logistics of were you traveling really far to just train and practice like once a week twice a week something like that
1: yeah. So yeah, we couldn't really like afford to go on any big snowboard trips. I remember I did convince my aunt and uncle who still lived out, they still live now out, out west in Vancouver for like uh Christmas. I think for when I turned 13, I got to go, um, on a trip. They gave me a trip out. So I got to go to Whistler and like, you know, experience the big mountains for the first time since I was a little kid when we, we lived out there. Um, but here, like the mountains take like 20 seconds to get down. They're very, very small. Um, and, uh, that, that's the only place that they could afford to, to take me. And so we actually, even near us, we went to like probably the smallest one of all of them, but it was because based on traffic after, after, uh, school and after my parents' work was done, they were open until 9 PM for night skiing. And it was like 20 minutes, uh, going the opposite direction of traffic to, to rip over and get over there. So I ended up taking a job as a snowboard instructor So then my parents had like incentive to take me to the mountain. Mm. Um, And then I was able to kind of do my thing. Like they didn't have great terrain parks, but of course there's like little rails and like little jumps that I could start learning on. Um, And so, yeah, I really just grew up on like a tiny Hill and then also in our backyard. Uh, I would build like little jumps, like very small and uh, little rails on our backyard or at the local toboggan hills. Like we would be building stuff so that like before school, after school, if I wasn't able to get to the the small hills, I could like practice on like one little feature.
0: I love that. And just I'm sure that helps just getting so good at the fundamental pieces uh, so that when you did have those opportunities that came later on, you were ready to rock them, it sounds like
1: yeah well it is it's interesting because, like once I did get to the national team level and saw like the kids who came from Colorado, for example, or from some of these amazing mountains in europe um there we did kind of have an advantage uh the snowboarders from Canada who came from like Ontario and Quebec area because we've been around like really bad conditions and really like jumps that aren't built well icy like wind, and so when competitions happened where there was wind, there was ice, like conditions weren't perfect. All these kids were used to like the big mountain, like they just had a perfect setup every day. And we were used to like adapting and getting used to all these things. So as much as we lacked like the quality training time, we like learned how to like make things happen with, with little and uh, adapt to the different conditions and weather.
0: Whew. I think that's huge. I think that's a huge piece that a lot of people miss. Like, we spend so much time. I talk about it a lot. Like we, are waiting for the perfect conditions to go out and do something. And I think it speaks volumes that you are obviously a, a leading case example of like, screw the conditions. Like if you have the desire and, you know, that inner drive to make it happen, like you're going to still perform at a high level. It doesn't matter what is going on externally around you, whether that's the weather going on, the mountains that are there. So I think that's huge. Is that something you realize like after the fact or in the, in the moment while you were going through it?
1: Uh, I definitely, after the fact, I think in the moment, you know, as a kid, you're like looking at everyone out in the big mountains and like, I just can't wait till I'm like old enough to move there myself or, um, or you're like jealous of, of their situations. But, um, when, when I look back, like once I got onto the team and I started realizing that there were some really great athletes from like the same, not the same area that I was, but like similar situations, I realized like that was our advantage, even though those other athletes might have this other advantage in my mind, I can like look back and be like, well, this is my, my advantage was having, you know, maybe not the perfect situation, but learning how to have to adapt to that.
0: Yeah. I think it's important to just highlight your mindset there of like choosing to focus on what's working for you rather than staying in this, like, well, I don't have all of these other things working for me. Like you chose to focus on what is serving you, which is huge. Other thing I want to talk on, you mentioned it very briefly about the challenge skill sweet spot and how when you move down a level in hockey, all of a sudden, like the challenge wasn't there. And for those not familiar with the challenge skill sweet spot, like it has to be based off of your skill level, like the challenge that you're faced with has to be within a certain area. Otherwise, you're not you're going to feel demotivated and you're like, well, this isn't even fun. Like I'm going out and breaking records and it's not even like I'm trying or on the other side of the things, like if your skill isn't to the level of the challenge, you're going to just look at it like this huge mountain and say, well, there's no way I'll ever be at the top there. How have you continued to find that challenge skill sweet spot now in your life? Because I noticed you do a lot of badass things beyond just the snowboarding and everything else. CrossFit, hundred k, a hundred kilometer cross-country ski. Like, how are you constantly trying to find that sweet spot for you?
1: Yeah, a great question. I think it's like just looking at the next like small step that that you can take, and especially like when it comes to say like a sport like CrossFit. It's like okay, say you can squat three hundred pounds. You're not going for four hundred pounds uh, your next session, right? Like it's, but it's always just progressing and like putting in that that work that's challenging you and like kind of like that progressive overload. If we think about it, you know, in a training plan where you're always kind of pushing that next limit and then you back off and then you like hit this new record and then that's your new, your new floor. And you keep going versus, you know, for example, if your, your PR squat say is, is 300. And then all of a sudden for like two years, you're like, I'm just going to squat like 100 pounds. Every time I go to the gym, Um, you're not doing it for like a challenging amount of reps. You're just like, eh, it's probably not going to be that fun anymore, especially if you have this mindset of wanting to to improve and get better um so always just kind of pushing and challenging yourself uh when you mentioned the hundred k ski, I would say that probably went too far out of the <laughs> out of that sweet spot I mean, I had only skied like ten k uh, before at once. So going hundred K wasn't the smartest. I did the similar thing. Uh, I mean, this past week, I just like hadn't run much at all. Um, and then I was doing this, uh, Red Bull Wings for life run. And so I did, I think 13 K and then yesterday, my knee was just broken <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I wonder why, maybe cause I rolled out of bed, ran 13 K immediately and hadn't done any ramp up, uh, at all, but it's, um, but it's definitely, you know, just progressing and taking those small steps I think is the most important. And especially if you have this Big goal, like you want to be the best in the world at something, don't just focus on that end, like focus on the process goals and those daily habits, because otherwise, like you said, you'll, you'll look at the skill level you have now, you'll look at that skill level it takes to get there, and you'll start thinking like, that's just an impossible jump for me to make. But if you just focus on what are those things I need to do daily to eventually get there, maybe five years from now, you're going to be much more sustainable in, in that process of that pursuit. And you're, you're just going to be in that sweet spot day to day to day rather than comparing yourself to this crazy goal that hopefully you will reach, but it's it's still in the far distance.
0: That's the formula to doing the impossible right there is taking that outlandish goal and then being able to break it down into daily tasks and just getting out of that current skill set just a little bit expanding there. I love the way you related it to training, too, because I think that is is huge. I'm big on that. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing how you just jumped into the hundred K. <laughs> I think that's absolutely sick, but also incredible. Um, I'm the same way. I was actually having this debate with a friend of mine and we were talking about how, you know, worse, we've been watching, I don't know if you know, Nick bear, like he just completed a half Ironman and we were like commentating on that. And we were having this debate of like, you know, like, If I really wanted to this Saturday, like, I think I could complete it. I don't know if I would be competitive at it, but I think I could complete it. Uh, And it sounds like you share that kind of same mentality of like, I mean, it doesn't have to be pretty, but I'm damn sure completing this thing. Is that kind of the mindset that you had going into both that and the run more recently?
1: Yeah. That's, that's so funny. It's like, well, like people were always saying like, well, how are you going to do a hundred K? And I was like, well, I didn't say I'm going to do hundred K in like 10 hours. Like I said, I'm going to do a hundred K. And like I did where I live, there's a curfew with, with, uh, with the pandemic and the lockdown. And so I did have like some sort of time limit. I like, I could start at the earliest. I think they had just shifted the curfew. So I could start at, I think five in the morning, I believe. And then I had until like, uh, I think like eight thirty or something. And, uh, so I did have some sort of like time limit, but at the same time, like, yeah, people are like, well, are how, how are you going to do hundred K? I'm like, well, what's going to happen if I keep, you know, fueling with some carbs throughout the day, I keep hydrated. Like, it doesn't matter if I get slow, like when, what, how would it p- be possible that I stop moving forward? I think it is in running. It's a little bit different. Like oh, you get so much more high impact. I was actually running the same course of my hundred K ski. And I was like, okay, the run is a little bit faster, um than the ski but i was like it's just so much more high impact that my heart rate was so much higher running like my joints were hurting like skiing my back by the end my hip flexors like everything was completely done but it's like they're sore they're not like so inflamed to the point that I couldn't keep moving. Like as long as I just kept eating and and doing everything right. It was like, I can just keep moving forward. Like what's, you know, unless I passed out or something. And I I just didn't really see that happening. (laughs) At least in my mind, I didn't see that happening.
0: Isn't it funny how that mindset shifts like very early on. I feel like it's like, Oh, I feel good. Like, let's just let's go with this. And then like, you hit that, that wall, so to speak, like you hear it in marathon running a lot, right? Like you hit the wall, and all of a sudden that mindset just shifts to like, just don't stop, like just yeah. keep moving forward. You just have to keep momentum in your favor moving forward. Is that a similar shift that happened to you during that experience?
1: Oh my gosh. The middle part was the the hardest. And, uh, I mean, like just managing the day that we did it with the weather was hard and like having to try to like announce it kind of ahead of time. Mm-hmm. The day that I did, it was probably the last good day before the snow kind of melted, but it was a really warm day. So like in the morning, I remember starting and I was at a really good pace and I was like, Oh, I can finish like really fast. Like I started to creating like time goals in my head, even though before I was like, I'm just going to chill, like whatever. And so like the first 30 K were really good. All of a sudden the sun started coming out as like the day. And so the snow got so slow that I was like, I would have been faster walking. I felt like, um, and so it was like, you're putting all this effort in, you're starting to get really sore and you feel like you're moving nowhere. Uh, that just was like really hard mentally. And that was like my wall. And so for the middle, like 30 kilometers or so, that just, just felt awful. And I was like, I think I, I might actually have a point where maybe I can't finish. Like every, like it's just going to take so long. Everything hurts. My uh, feet are bleeding and blistered. Like, how is this going to happen? And then I was like, wait, like I started thinking like going back, like I took a little bit of a break and I said, I was like, what did I say before? I can just always keep moving. And so I ended up like packing up my camel back and deciding instead of doing, I was doing like kind of loops of so around 10K. And I was like, I'm going to do like a 20K loop. Um, I think that was like from 60 to 80K. And once I got halfway, so I knew I still had 10K to go home, uh, to go back to my starting point, I was like, I only have. 20k once i get back and i've just done 20k so if i can just do 20k now with how i was feeling i can surely do another 20k to finish this thing off um so things just like my mindset changed completely but that middle 30k from like 30k to 60k oh horrible horrible
0: (laughs) so that's the fun challenge that i think ultra endurance sports offer people right it's like it's so easy to get lost in the sauce as they say like in the middle there because your mind wanders like you are maybe just over the halfway point like the finish line is a little too far out for you to just even feel remotely excited about you're like okay great like it's still 40k away like am I actually gonna get there like I don't know but yeah if you can keep in that headspace of just like let me clip off 1k 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 like Once And then maybe at some point it shifts to one step, one step, one step. And that's how you end up finishing. Um, That's incredible. How did it feel after the fact? Like, did you feel this sense of relief that you finished, like sense of accomplishment? What were you feeling?
1: Yeah, it was, it was so weird. I think it actually took me emotionally more time to recover than it did physically. Like actually still to this day, I have like the skin peel. It's been, I guess that was in March. So it's, you know, it's been like a few months, but um, the back of my heels still, like the skin is still recovering from the blisters that I had. But like the next day I was super sore. Then the day after I was like, fine, could go back to the gym and everything. But like emotionally, I just felt so drained because even just in preparation emotionally for it, I was like, okay, I have this this ski coming up. So for a couple of weeks before, that's all I'm thinking about. Um, and then all of a sudden it happens and you've done it, and then there was like some excitement. And then it just kind of like you're like, Oh, what's next? And then you're like, oh, I have some other things to focus on. And uh, and so it took it took definitely a while. I know in that moment I was like when I did finally finish, I was like in a really great mood, super excited. One, because I was going to get a home, go home and get pizza, uh, which I could barely stomach at the time, sadly.
0: Is <laughs> um, that the worst?
1: That's <laughs> the worst. Like I was so excited all day. And then I was like, I I, remember, I think I fell asleep. And when I woke up, there was like the pizza beside my bed. I was like, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> um, I think I even, I had like um, a non-alcoholic beer, like one of the athletic brewing beers. And yeah, I, yeah. I brought it up because so I was like so sore. So I just ate in bed when I got, got back. And I never even opened it. I like, I was so excited for it. And it was just sitting like on my night side table when I woke up, I was like, wow, this is such a bummer. Um, but I was definitely super excited when I finished, like my brother came to join me for the last like 15 K. So that was like really special. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then with the curfew, he had to rip off. So he had no time for celebration. Um, but then the next day was just like, I was just like in a weird, dreary state. Like I would just in a mental fog from just exhaustion. I think my whoop recovery was 1%.
0: <laughs> I've had that happen once before. It's not fun. Um, however, mine was from an actual hangover. So I wish it was like doing more. Account- <laughs> that was actually crazy. I had a, a hangover 1% recovery. And then after I did a marathon last month. And I had like a thirty-something percent recovery, and oh, I was like, "How is this? Like, how is this possible? Like, doing a marathon the day before is less taxing, I guess, on my body than whatever I got into the night before that other one." Uh, I was like, "I'm going to keep this in mind moving forward." Yeah,
1: it is interesting. Like, the alcohol definitely impacts like guy resting heart rate, HRV. Like, it's yeah, it's been interesting to track some of those things. I think
0: it's hilarious how like that's the picture you painted of like the half-eaten pizza, the unopened <laughs> non-alcoholic athletic brewing company yeah. Yeah, next to you. Great, great beer, by the way. Um, it's, it's I
1: never thought I would like it. Like I was like, what's the point? I, like I wasn't even a big beer drinker at all before, yeah. um, but now I'm like a monthly subscriber. I'm like, I'm into this. Like I don't know what it is, but I think it just triggers the same signals in your brain of like relaxation when mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you like, click it up and have it. I think for some people, sparkling water kind of does the same thing, Yeah, Um, but it like kind of divides. It's like, okay, now it's time to chill and and relax. And uh, so I get the same feeling as maybe, especially with the pandemic, you can't go like, on especially where I live, like you can't go on patios and hang out with people and, you know, have that nice beer at the end of the weekend. So like just having the non-alcoholic beer gives the same thing. And then the next morning you can wake up and get after training without the bad recovery.
0: Yeah. That's what I, I'm, I always say I'm more addicted now to like the feeling of feeling good the next day that I'm like, I could do without all that stuff the night before. Um, you talked there on recovery and almost like a, a routine around like, Hey, it's time to turn the switch off, which I think is something that is really, really challenging for high performers like yourself, because you're always wanting to be wired, to be on, to be achieving. I mean, you, You are running a zillion companies right now, a zillion projects that you got going on. How are you making sure that you're getting gritty around recovery as well and not just having perseverance and getting gritty on like moving the needle forward in these other areas?
1: Yeah, that's been a big shift for me because it was something that I definitely really struggled with um, before, I think the biggest shift for me actually has been moving in with my boyfriend because he works out of the house all day. And so then like, I have this set time where I know like, okay, when he comes home, like I'm going to only get like an hour or two before we go to bed. Cause we go to bed <laughs> pretty early, um, to like hang out and watch a TV show and like eat dinner, um, just like talk or play cards together. So, uh, it, that's really helped me because it creates that separation because before we were like, doing long distance and then i remember even when i would go visit him it'd be the same thing he'd he'd go to bed and i'd be like on my laptop working um or uh there was a time where i was training for some big crossfit competitions in 2019 and at the same time my workload and in my agency like had skyrocketed and i was trying to manage training at the highest level like six hours a day plus like trying to run a business like full-time I got to the point where I was so burnt out that we, we went to uh, China for a competition together. Um, and then after that we went to Bali and my parents literally sat me down before this trip. And they're like, Nat, like, we know Austin, like, really loves you, but, like, you you have to pay attention to him. (laughs) They're, like, if you go on this trip, and all you do is work, like, that's just, like, you guys should spend time together, like, you should hang out, have a trip, like, you're gonna burn out, and I remember they just, they saw it, and they, like, sat me down and had this conversation, Um, and so that was definitely, like, a pivotal moment, and so, It was just interesting how like just creating that new environment of we moved into this new house. We have like less distractions. Um, His schedule I've had to adapt with um, has actually really helped me because I feel like, you know, if he was also working from home, it'd be much more difficult to have those lines because then I would just feel like I could work nonstop. Mm -hmm. But because he does kind of work more of a traditional nine to five and like comes back. I try to adjust my schedule to that where like when he does come home, I'm like, okay, hard stop on my other stuff. Um, and then same thing on the weekend. It's like, okay, weekend, I may have a few projects I have to work on. Um, but let me try to like be present if you want to go biking or if you want to watch like F1 on the weekend or whatever it is. I
0: love it. I love how into F1 you guys are, by the way, <laughs> it's, I feel like it's an up and coming sport. I always see you posted about it and I'm like, yes, like, am I, It's a little harder for me on the West Coast now to be like waking up for some of the Grand Prix's, but I do love uh, watching it. So good choice there. Um, I think that's awesome that you recognized the burnout pre-Bali, because that would have been a shame, obviously, if you weren't able to enjoy that space. Uh, I think it's just it's really interesting you mentioned this concept of time and like how his schedule has helped you kind of create those boundaries. And I think that's a real struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, especially in this work from home environment, because it all of a sudden becomes this open-ended thing. And again, circling back to high achievers, like I think we are of the same wavelength of like we can always be improving. We can always be growing and learning and doing something. So it's really hard to put that hard stop boundary in place to say, hey, Okay, that's awesome. But like, I need to disconnect and recover. And you're only going to be as good in that next session, whether it's a training session, a work session, whatever it may be, as you are in that recovery right beforehand, I think. Yeah. On on your whoop all the time, right? (laughs)
1: Oh yeah. 100%. It's just, it is creating that environment. At least for me, that's, that's been the game changer. Cause it's, you know, like we, people talk all the time about like making small habits. For example, you want to make a morning routine. Don't like create this whole new morning routine. Like just add one thing. But when I moved here, I was able to like completely change all my routines and just settle because you have like this big change of location. You've created this whole new environment um, but before, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like open-ended. You can always keep working. There's always something to do. Um, and I had like a really wise prospect coach who told me once he was like, work will always take up the space that you allow, uh, allow for it. So he was like, it, it, and it was very true. Like I was realizing that, uh, even sometimes when I'm here, I'm like in the whole day, if it's like a rainy day and I'm just not motivated to go outside and whatever, so like my work can take me like t- the twelve hours that my boyfriend might be gone, and I'm like, "What did I really do today? Like was I actually focused like I could have probably got this done in two hours. I look back on the days that I used to train six hours in the gym, have to commute back and forth um and then was working in between all those times. And I was like, I probably got done in two hours in between my sessions. The same thing it took me like twelve hours to do today mm. and so there's always just something to do there's always something more like you can always you can always nitpick on things, especially as an entrepreneur, you can just like decide one night, oh, I'm just going to redo my logo because I have nothing else better to do, you know? And, uh, and those are hard things to get stuck in. And, uh, and so it's been interesting to just like create that boundary, but it, it does have to be a boundary that is created. Cause I think there's, there's not really another way to, to do it without setting that, that wall there.
0: Yeah. I see it all the time with people that are myself included. Like it really took me to like step away for a day and realize like nothing changed. <laughs> like everything that I quote unquote had to get done, like was still there. All the opportunities that were on the table were still there. Like it wasn't like they just poof disappeared, but we make up in our head that there's this unimposed deadline. Like we just put it on ourselves that we need to just keep striving and working for. So I think that's huge that you've found that balance there. Um, I, yeah. I also want to ask you with running the, social media agency and everything, how do you create boundaries there? Because I think that's a challenge for a lot of people, especially in our age demographic. It's so easy to go on to social medias with one intention and then end up like down whatever rabbit hole you end up on, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram. How do you set those boundaries and intentions beforehand?
1: Yeah, it used to be more difficult because I was basically like, back in the day, like a social media manager. So I managed so many accounts. I had like multiple phones and was like managing all these different brand accounts. It was crazy. But then in the past couple of years, I completely shifted my focus to more like consulting on social media mm. um, and working in an advising companies. So probably more of my time now is spent on zoom consulting with someone about their social media, than actually like running it. That in itself has been the biggest game changer. Cause I thought for years, Uh, with the same issue where it was like, now I'm spending all day on social media. Even if I'm on my client's accounts, I'm still like seeing things pop up that are going to trigger me or whatever it is. And I can never really escape it. And I've just realized like, no matter what I did to try to avoid that someone who is a social media uh, manager and their job is, is to be online all day. I really like, I feel for them because I was in that position it is really hard because you really do have to be on you can't really have that separation um you're working like all hours often um and so if they can just do like that extra self-care when they can that definitely helps a lot and if they can unplug but i was just getting to the point where i couldn't and so i made a big change in my business and that's that's been the big difference maker where now it's like if i'm not online for a few hours like nothing bad is gonna happen because the 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 you know the biggest accounts that i have to manage now are just my own personal stuff so that's uh that's definitely been a, a game changer for me is just kind of moving out of that zone but for anyone who is still in that zone because i think when it comes to your personal stuff understanding like i've i've gotten to the point where i understand i don't have to be online all the time i can take a day mm-hmm. off my phone nothing really is going to change like that's fine but i didn't feel that way obviously about my my clients accounts so if you are in the position where you're running, you know, accounts for someone else or whatever it is, you do feel like you have to be on all the time, which is probably in your job description. Um, Whatever you can do to, you know, separate yourself, whether it's weekends off, uh, hire someone to take over a couple days, you know, in the week. So you can take those times off. Just it, it, you can do all the things you can to balance the effects of being on social media all the time but nothing will, will change unless you actually can try to get the time off of social media to just equal that stuff out.
0: Yeah. I think that's huge. I have a few friends that are in that space and it's, I always got a kick out of the two phones or multiple phones <laughs> thing. I was uh-huh. like, he's like, Oh, I I can leave this iPhone. Or I grabbed the work phone tonight. Like when we were going out to dinner, he was like, we got to go back. <laughs> I, I need the other one.
1: Um, oh my God. Yeah. It's a tough
0: balance there. Definitely a tough balance. I want to talk talk on fear um, because that when I was doing research and kind of learning about your background, it's definitely something that I recognized that comes with action sport and something obviously that, you know, uh, comes into it. And what I hear a lot in just this conversation is, you recognize fear, you recognize when things need to be changed, but you go into them anyway. Like you recognize, a lot of people are in the space where they recognize that maybe they're in that social media manager role and things need to change, but they're too, I don't, I don't want to say too scared, but they don't have the courage to then go live a little bit more fiercely and, and lean into making the shift that actually will benefit them the most. I'm noticing that you have no problem in doing that. How do you, what's your relationship with fear? How do you navigate it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would love to talk about fear. I'll touch on the, the last point first, because I think it, that kind of goes outside of fear, but I have felt like since I made that tough decision, for example, to walk away from snowboarding, which is the toughest decision in my life, like like, uh, like I said, since I was three, I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics someday. So that was like giving up that goal and making that decision. Now I feel like having recovered from that and all the negative uh, mental health issues and stuff that came with it, like nothing is ever going to be as scary of a pivot as that of like giving up what I worked my entire life up to that point for um, and having to like rediscover myself. What then what, you know, if I build a business for three years and now I want to pivot the direction that's not so scary like i handled pivoting a direction of something that was like 20 years of my life uh invested so Uh, I always feel like that decision has really helped me in any of the other decisions I want to make. Also, just knowing like there's always going to be time. And uh, I definitely get into the urgency mindset and the rush mindset of like, oh, I want to do this, you know, in sports before say I want to have kids um, because that could change a lot or I want to do this while I'm still young or whatever it is. Definitely fall into those traps, too, but just still understanding that like life is long. Like if you want to write a book, you don't have to write it tomorrow. You could go back and write a book at 16 and probably have more depth of material to put in it than you do in your twenties. So like you always have time. There's always, you know, uh, things that you can do. And so if if you have to go back and reinvest a few years, um, then, then you have the time to do it and understand that all the things that you've learned, they're not for nothing. Like they're all going to transfer into whatever you're doing, even if it's in a completely different realm. But um, but going back to like the original concept of fear, uh, I know like we were talking offline about a fear and action sports and you were talking about your experience surfing and, and mine was <laughs> snowboarding. Like um, I, I was talking about the, the book Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, and he was saying that a lot of people do use action sports to get into that, you know, that flow state, that present in the moment state. And that's definitely that's something I'm really grateful to snowboarding for really teaching me the importance of being the present moment because at the time I never realized it but then looking back I was like wow that was a big lesson in presence because when you drop in and if you're not paying attention to what you're doing you could literally possibly die um you have to be there you have to be all in you have to be like right in that moment you can't be thinking what you're going to eat later you can't be thinking what is going to be the result of this run you're only thinking of like okay, do I shift onto my toe edge now? Do I shift onto my heel edge? Exactly how much pressure do I put in, uh, into this rotation? Like you're, you're thinking about exactly right down into the moment, um, into like your body into, you know, what's the wind doing? Am I picking up the, the noise of the wind as I'm going so that I know what speed I'm going into this jump? Um, you really have to be present, but fear can can really kind of help you with that. And so you start learning that fear is not like this thing to be rid of. Like no one ever gets rid of fear, mm. uh, because even at my time competing at one of the highest levels in snowboarding, I realized if I'm there and I'm fearful then, you know, so is everybody else. Um, It's not that it's just like, you know, we're reckless and just like going and hucking ourselves and we don't feel fear. It's that we've learned to like manage that fear with taking that next step. And fear actually just can keep you in check. For example, I'm not going to go and say, oh, I've done a 360. Now I can just go and try do a 1080. Fear will actually just help me be like, "Mm, that's not the logical next step. You're going to hurt yourself if you do that. But if you step into the fear, you could probably learn, you know, the 540, the next trick, you know, from that.
0: Yeah, I think it's important there, again, circling back to that challenge skill sweet spot, like using the fear to identify, like, where is the next sweet spot for me? Like once I've mastered this skill, now I can up the challenge and and vice versa and kind of using it as a stepladder rather than all of a sudden it's this massive jump to something way bigger than you probably aren't prepared for. That's huge. That's definitely huge and it sounds like you learned to just really get comfortable being uncomfortable and learning that like fear is just one of those emotions that we're all going to feel. It's not something that we can just turn off even at the biggest stage even after having done it for 20 years. Like it's still probably present for you. It's funny you mentioned off the record beforehand of you know, you're more fearful now than you were <laughs> maybe as a kid. How have you kind of maintained like leaning into fear and using it as this actually valuable resource, um, to work for you, even in as you're growing older here and might be different yeah. than snowboarding?
1: Yeah. I mean, now it's funny because I, you know, for example, the gym, someone would say, Oh, wouldn't you be scared that you could like drop that weight or something? And Mm -hmm. I was like dropping that the squat and knowing how to like just bail off. Nothing happens. I was like, if I can go and hit an 80 foot jump where I could die, I think like, you know, failing a squat and just having to ditch the weight is not so scary. Um, So in, in a way like doing some of these really these things that like now I look back, I'm like, Oh, those things were really scary. Like you're like, two stories high and flying through the air nothing else is really that that scary and in comparison um I think mostly now like some of the things that I would probably consider scary is you know just like emotional things like putting yourself out there emotionally putting your story out there um doing things like that but it just you you kind of almost get at least what snowboarding Tommy is like you get addicted to the feeling of Overcoming your fear, and that was definitely um, what I experienced in action sports. Is there's like that high that you get where you were scared of doing something, uh, especially when it's like learning a new trick, and then you land it, um, or you don't land it, but it wasn't as bad as you thought. Like you just like kind of fall, but it wasn't painful. Like there's like this high that you experience when that happens. Um, that like gets you to go and do it again. And so that's the same thing that I think uh, I try to carry forward in my life. Like when I'm feeling scared of something, but I know it's like worth it to try. There's like that feeling of doing it, realizing it either wasn't so scary or you actually succeed in it. And uh, it's really addicting that feeling that you get afterwards.
0: I think it's important to remember the feeling afterwards and like live into that. So any moment that you're feeling like paralyzed like remind yourself, well, what lies on the other side of this? And that can be that little push. Um, Like I was cliff jumping a few months back now and it was so funny because in my head I was like, Oh, I've done this a million times. Like it's, I know what lies on that. It's so exciting. And I did it and it's hilarious. I have a, a GoPro max. So it gives 360 video and I remember looking at the footage afterwards and I just, cracked up looking at my face the whole entire jump it literally is just painted with fear as soon as i hit the water it literally my cheeks puff out like i was about to like get sick and i was like well i guess i was telling my brain like i'm not scared but my body was definitely showing otherwise and it's still something we all feel feel no matter how many times you've done it um but i love too that that you can kind of refer back to these other Instances that you faced it and kind of disprove your your mind and your head in the moment and say, hey, look, I hear what you're saying and you're right to be saying this, but it's worked out in the past like we're going to do this anyway kind
1: of deal. yeah yeah and that feeling it's just it's so addicting like I'm just thinking back on it now even and like this past spring I went snowboarding at like a hill that I used to go to and um I think I posted a video where I was doing like a, a back 180 and like a couple of slides on this like rail and like pretty pretty basic tricks but even I remember for me just like dropping in the first time of that day to do that trick I was like This is a trick I would do like first try when I was younger, like that was just like my warm up trick. But I was like, I just haven't done it in a while that I was getting those butterflies again. And I just like really liked that feeling where at the end of the day, I was actually like considering, should I just go for it and try like some of my better tricks for my from my other days because I can I was just remembering the feeling that I had when I landed those tricks Mm. and like how overcoming the fear to do them like it never really got easier even though those were some of you know my stock tricks even when I was competing it was scary to like in the day, build back up to them and then do them again. And so I was like, oh, like it would be so cool just to like have that feeling again and land it. But then based on, I was like remembering my skills now, which aren't as high as it was there. And I was like, <laughs> the skill challenge would be a little bit too far. Maybe next season, if I like build earlier in the season back to my very, very easy tricks and then like get back to some, but it just, it just so addicting, that feeling of overcoming it and realizing, um, like you said, that like, it's not, It's not that bad in the end, and it's just um, either not that bad or or it ends up working
0: out. I like that risk-reward assessment that you performed real quickly
1: (laughs) there, and like
0: (laughs) it's it's way different when it's just recreational and you're just going out for a fun weekend, and you're like, hey, let's reminisce a little bit, Um, and you're like, all right, well, I don't need to push it too hard. Like who who do you really have to prove that to at that point you know i was
1: like if i break my arm just to like do this like it would be a cool feeling but i was like mm, i would be out of my work i would be out of crossfit uh yeah there's definitely some bigger repercussions right like before it was like my job so it was like if i break my arm well that happens but i have to take the risk because i need to get better and i need to land this right now but now it's like i really don't have to there's absolutely no need other than like it would be cool to video it and it would be a cool feeling to land it but uh i did it before and i don't need to do it again
0: yeah definitely i love how you brought up too like the butterflies that i always say it's like nervous excitement like you right before you're going to be doing something how have you found ways now with all that you're doing now to still get that feeling on a somewhat normal basis, because I think we need that feeling to go out and perform at our best. And we struggle when it's life post-sport because it doesn't look the same. It's not like you're sitting on top of that jump and you're looking down like, all right, look, let's drop in, I'm feeling this feel. Now it might be a Zoom meeting and you might be feeling it a little bit differently. How are you still making sure that you're getting that feeling and then like taking action and being like all right i'm i'm owning this
1: yeah i i mean like you said like even with the zoom meetings i would say probably whenever I'm competing in CrossFit, like when you're about to go out on the floor and people are watching, but that's like kind of the same sport feeling, obviously not as much of a scary, like nothing bad's going to happen, but you you go deep in the pain cave at least. So you're kind of scared of like, Oh, this assault bike is going to really hurt. Um, so sometimes before workouts or like before a big squad or something, you get that, that nervousness of like, Oh, I'm going to try like a new PR or I'm going to like go all out on this workout. How's it going to feel? Um, but then also, yeah, like the zoom meetings or like, I do like some different speaking and stuff. And it's always like, is this like, are my thoughts going to come across? Well, uh, am I like nervous for this talk or whatever it is, or am I going to jive well with, with the other people on the panel or whatever? Um, you can still kind of get that feeling going, uh, again, for sure. And then just leaning into it the same way that, that you did in sports.
0: I love that. And speaking of talks, I would be remiss if I haven't asked you. You got a TED talk coming up, right? Yes. What's, yeah. can we, can you dive into just a brief overview of like what the topic is that you dive into it and what was that experience like? Cause I'm, I'm imagining, I'm, I know how big TED talk is and I'm like, I would have all the nervous butterflies getting ready for that one.
1: Yeah. Well, so this is the interesting part about it was uh, it's not uh, in person. Mm. So with like up here in Canada, everything is super locked down. So everything was virtual. And so you could kind of film it like a YouTube video. So uh, I wasn't even able to meet up with my filmer anymore with everything. We had like some new lockdown rules and stuff. So I literally filmed it like over on my back deck by myself. So that part wasn't so nerve wracking. Like it'll be interesting to see like how it's received. That might be a little bit more uh, nerve wracking, but I just try to like, you know, focus on the process, but, uh, like thinking through actually going and speaking on the stage, that definitely brings me butterflies to think about, especially at something that big, which is why I actually am kind of happy that it was virtual because it gave me the chance to get out on that level of stage without actually being like on the stage itself. So I think it'll be good practice of like writing and speaking Or uh, if that day comes where I actually have like an in-person event, hopefully in Canada, we get back to non-lockdown life eventually sometime. Um, So that, that'll be definitely really interesting to have that experience. But uh, the topic is, is about failure. Um, I finally like nailed down a title. So it's called failure. What I learned from not making the Olympics. And um, it kind of took a few different twists and turns, I wanted to really make it about... Uh, I had I made a post like a few years ago. It was super basic, like uh, one paragraph. But it was like... It, it, it kind of like was one of my more popular posts at the time. I remember it resonated with a lot of people. I got some messages and it was basically like, only read this if you never want to fail again. And then basically what I talked about was like if your whole goal is just to learn, grow and like be your best self, there is no possible way that you can fail other than like not trying at all. Um, Because even if you do quote unquote, like fail, like for example, I didn't make the Olympics, but the lessons and the mindset that I had to learn and build from overcoming that was just so valuable. And the lessons that I realized I learned in the pursuit of that goal weren't all for naught. They were, you know, they all progressed into what I'm doing now. It wasn't like, that was the peak of my life. And now boom downhill. It was like, no, everything is still building. I'm just doing something new. Um, so I really wanted to kind of progress upon that thought process. Cause I really believe that uh, there's no real risk in trying the, the risk is in not trying at all. Cause that guarantees like a 0% chance of making what you want to do happen. So I wanted to build on that. And then when I was talking with the organizer he was like, Well, I listened to your podcast. I want to like, you know, tell your story. So I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I have no guidance on the exact topic. because uh, I know TED Talks aren't just a story. They're like an idea, right? Like yeah. you have to build on that idea and your story is kind of like the evidence. And so I used my story of how I was just really hyper focused on uh just on like performance and my results all the time to the point that it led me to experience all these mental health issues that I had to walk away from the sport when I didn't make the Olympics because everything was so reliant on results to the point where I know if I would have gone to the Olympics if I would have won a medal, that's all I would have had—a medal. I wouldn't have been happy. I wouldn't have. It would just wouldn't have been on to the next thing. Um, and so, really, not making the Olympics was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and what it taught me was, you know, failure isn't failure. I have to embrace the fail, failing forward mindset. But also that this hyper focus on results isn't very healthy. And if we can focus more on the effort and being rather than the having or doing, um, that's the most sustainable way. And so uh, I try to build those things all together. Every time I look back, I'm like, I wish I'd change this and this. But I think that'll forever be uh, what happens, especially when you try to condense your thoughts into like a really short talk.
0: Yeah, I was about to say it's what a fifteen-minute window or so. To,
1: 10 minutes, yeah. I mean, even yeah. even I had harder. 8 to twelve. So eight to twelve minutes, and so I ended up like right smack in the middle.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think um, yeah, it's it's huge that you learn that lesson of output versus outcome. Like, just continually to focus on what you can control. Um, I think that's really the hardest thing about sport. Like, it's great that it in it encourages this competitive drive in us right but it almost places these unrealistic expectations and weight on the outcome so heavily i got asked yesterday like when did sport shift from like being all about having fun to like being all about winning and i was like i think it would we'd actually have more success in whatever we're doing if we are still able to keep that same formula of like let's have fun first and then like the winning will come we have to enjoy like whatever we're doing and it sounds like snowboarding at that point in your career wasn't really lightening up anymore like it did when you were younger
1: yeah like i remember the the 2014 Olympics. there was we had two spots for the canadian women's team and there was like one spot was locked down um by this one girl she was like one of the top in the world at the time. And so we knew she had that spot. And then there was like, probably like five of us that all have a chance at the second spot. And I ended up going to one of like one of my best friends at the time. And I remember just being so frustrated because every time we would snowboard together, she had the most fun of anyone. Like she's like dancing and like, like singing and like just having such a, so, so much fun while I was like meticulously training and she'd be Mm -hmm. like, you know, she'll still go to parties or whatever. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't drink for two years when I was, and that was like prime, like party year, especially in the yeah. snowboard space. And I was like, no, that's the sacrifice I have to make if I want to, you know, be the best. And so I didn't drink. I didn't really like party that much. I like had all these like goals and every day I had a checklist of tricks I needed to land, which was also outcome-based goals, not process-based goals. Cause you can't really just predict that you're going to land all these things every day. Um, And versus, you know, she would just be out there and just have fun. And she ended up being the one who made it to the Olympics. And that was also, like, I remember thinking at the time, like, I can remember, like, snowboarding with her and being right behind her and thinking that at the time, like, man, like, she's having so much fun and it just coming so easily for her. And for me, I'm, like, hitting a wall, hitting a wall, hitting a wall. Um, And so it was, yeah, it was interesting to learn that lesson. Unfortunately, I always, like, learned it a little bit too late, but um, I think that, it, you know, I had to learn things the hard way and it took, you know, going into that deep end of everything to figure that out and learn that being a high performer can come from a different place than only this hyper focus on just results or attaching your identity or your worth to an end result.
0: Yeah. How do you balance now? I know we talked a little bit about Whoop earlier, the activity tracker. I'm, I'm wearing mine. uh I feel like you wear yours probably all the time. How do you balance?
1: I still have a, uh, like a. Well, I don't know if you can see a Whoop tan on this wrist, and I haven't uh, even worn it for months on that wrist. It's been on you're, this.
0: You're not ready for mine. You can't really see uh, it on the camera. we well, are Like we're in like...
1: winter, and I, this has been since last summer. It hasn't gone away, even though I've been inside all winter.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. How do you balance, like? the data that it provides you being beneficial and useful and that need to like hyper focus on the results of the data is, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I try just not to like compare my day strain or anything. Cause I also know, like, for example, there, there's uh, a few teams, like I'm in on the whoop and there's one team I'm in with this guy who, uh, Last summer, we did, like, a training together. He doesn't do CrossFit, but he came and did a CrossFit workout for, like, a vlog he was doing. And uh, we did the same training and workout. My day strain was much lower than his. And so now I see every day his day strain is super high. I'm like, oh, am I lazy, like, not doing anything? But I have to, like, put in perspective. I can't compare day strain. For example, like, for me, cross those CrossFit workouts weren't as straining because I'm, like, used to them, and that's, like, my training. Uh, and they were higher for him versus, like, if I went out with a runner – their day stream might be a 10 and that running versus I, when I just did 13 K my day stream was like 18 from that. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> All I did was run and like, not even like, you know, like a really hard run. It was like at a leisurely pace. And I was like, it's just so crazy that these, these differences. So I just, I try to look at patterns and trends and I think that's, that's how I've been able to use the whoop like sustainably. I actually take it off uh, for cross competitions. I've never worn it at a competition that's just because sick. I already know, like my recovery is going to be bad. I just did like five workouts in one day. I don't need you to tell me, tell me that. Cause then I may have that in my mind the next morning, like dictating, Oh, I'm badly recovered. So that's why I'm being bad in this event. It's like, everyone is going to be poorly recovered when it comes to day two. So I just try to look at long-term patterns and not compare it to anyone else's stats or anything else's, or even it's been hard just not comparing it to my old stats. Cause I used to train like so much in the gym and now I've just been doing shoulder rehab and that tracks as nothing. Like there's some days where, like for example, now it tells me that I've been sitting all day. Well, I did like an earlier this morning, like an hour of like pull ups and push ups and just like some upper body stuff. But none of it was like high heart rate inducing, so it doesn't track that as well as like endurance. So it's gonna tell like anyone who's looking at my Whoop that I've done nothing, but I haven't done nothing. So I just have to like remember that in in hindsight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good reminder of like you got to distance yourself from like what other people are doing. Stay in your lane and just worry about like I always say you got to find your level of hard. You have to find like whatever that is for you and, and focus on that and improving. You can't be comparing yourself to uh, someone like yourself or someone like myself. Like it's all about self-improvement. I want to end with the fast five, which are five quick one word or one sentence answers for you we'll go rapid fire this has been so much fun uh today but the first one i'm excited for people to get to know you a little bit better through this as well is what is your go-to podcast that no one has heard of that you listen to
1: maybe the huberman lab uh, Okay, Andrew, yeah that's listen- awesome yeah, I listened to all those as well. I got deep in the deep end yesterday on uh, on that one. I started like his whole topic. I started listening all day to different podcasts about that same topic. Like I went on to the ritual. All these, I was like deep diving on this whole concept of like this recovery thing that he was talking about. <laughs>
0: Some people deep dive into TikTok rabbit holes. You're deep diving into podcast rabbit holes. There, it sounds like. I'm not so bad. I love it. What um favorite book that you've read in the past year?
1: Oh, the past year. That's that's tough. Ah, uh, Breathe by James Nestor. Um. Yeah, I think that was a good one. I've been like taking my mouth shut for like three months, actually more than three months, probably like five months uh, when I sleep, just trying to work more on my nasal breathing and like diaphragmatic breathing. breathing.
0: Let's digress real quick there because I'm familiar with it, but I'm sure people listening might be new. What exactly is the benefit there?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I probably won't articulate this super well, but I like I've suffered from asthma for a lot of my life, which obviously isn't the greatest uh, combination with trying to get better in CrossFit, especially when I suffer from the endurance side, so. Um, uh, but it basically, in in breathe, like he talks about, just like the adjustments that have happened, or like the adaptations that humans have made from becoming like mouth breathers and like our jaws have gotten smaller. And, um, we've, we've gotten things like asthma and he's traced like a a few different other things, which I don't know if it's like hundred percent legit or not, but like, I think he even said like ADHD was linked with this. I'm like, I don't, I'm sure it comes from a lot of different things, but, um, but yeah, basically saying that like nasal breathing is like the healthier way. And that actually in training, we often think like we hyperventilate thinking we need more oxygen, But that's actually usually not the case. And that actually can be detrimental. But it's training ourselves to, like, lower our breath rate and just take, like, not even, like, super deep breaths, but, like, just, like, very, like, relaxed, diaphragmatic, slow breaths as much as possible is the healthier way and so i try like even when i did 100k ski i think i nasal breathed almost the whole time because my heart rate i think average is like 150 the whole time so i usually find i can nasal breathe up to like 155 160 Mm -hmm. so i was always under that range but like when i went running the other day i tried to nasal breathe for a lot of time but i have horrible allergies right now so that lasted not too long um but uh, so there's times where I definitely cross CrossFit, I have to like breathe out of my mouth, but I try like, especially helps me learn pacing at the lower uh, heart rates.
0: Yeah. I'm always fascinated about breath work strategies in, in general. And I think it's very overlooked strategy with training and all that, depending on what your sport is. But yeah, there is that link between being able to control your breath, being able to control your heart rate, and then being able to like maximize that zone. Like you and I both know, like we can go for way longer at that heart rate 150 than if we were, you know, redlining closer to 180, 190, whatever that is for someone. Um, So that's huge. I'm glad you're. I might have to experiment. You're not the first person to to share that with me. We'll see how yeah. it sounds. I, I,
1: it's funny. I drive my boyfriend crazy because every night I take my mouth shut, and he's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> um,
0: science don't worry
1: (laughs) he's like i wake up in the middle of the night and i'm like he's like gets scared because he forgets um but yeah i I don't know if it helps or not doing that because like i i didn't snore before like i didn't have problems with that but i just find like because i am trying in the day to work more on my nasal breathing i'm like i feel like what I do in the night subconsciously will get reflected. So if I am taking my mouth shut, it'll remind me first thing in the morning, like, oh, yeah, I'm nasal breathing. So yeah. it's been a good good reminder.
0: I love that. Back to our regular scheduled program here of number three. What's a quote that you live by?
1: Uh, I have a quote right up on my wall. Nothing is great unless it is also at peace. um so that's been a big one for me because i i just believe like you know you can achieve all these things in the world like i said i could have won a gold medal and gone to the olympics whatever it was but i don't think i would have been happy then so it's like nothing is great unless it's at peace you have all the money all the status whatever it is you can't enjoy it like what's what's the point you just have bigger problems at that point
0: i love that what's one thing that you can't live without
1: Oof, I feel like a, a scapegoat answer would be the, my phone. But, I haven't uh, gotten
0: that one, actually. I, it or not.
1: Because it's a it's a bad answer. Like, I wish I didn't have to answer that. But like, no, pro- probably, I mean, these days, definitely my phone because I can't see my family in real life. So uh, I, I would be uh, distraught without it. But um, my dog, maybe.
0: <laughs> Another great answer. Um yeah. Last one here, number five. What's your one word focus at this point in time?
1: Ooh, my w- my one word focus?
0: One word focus.
1: Like what am I focused on? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Growth. <laughs> Growth, yeah.
0: That sums up the athletic mindset, I think, pretty well. <laughs> uh, Natalie, this uh, before we plug you... I just want to take a moment and just say I appreciate you. Um, your insight, the way you show up, what you're doing in this world is amazing. So I appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Where can those listening in find more of you, keep up with all the amazing things that you're doing? Maybe 200 kilometer ski next. Like what's, what's going on?
1: Oh man, well, it'll be a while till the snow falls again. And I don't know if I ever want to do that again. But um, yeah, Instagram's probably the, the best place to keep track, which is just at Natalie Allport. Um, my website's the same, natalieallport.com, and there's links to everything there.
0: Appreciate you taking the time to listen. Natalie's story is one of how sometimes our initial expectation holds us back from what the universe is really trying to give us. Share this episode with a friend, family member, or teammate who could benefit from hearing Natalie's message. We all grow more together. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a
1: time. I will see you all on Monday.